Glad you're here today. It's great to be in God's house with you, and I am looking forward to what God has to say to us. And uh, I was asked to shorten my message so we could get out of here in time for the writers. And um, going on the first service, if you're writing, you may have to leave. All right, so <laughs> you'll understand that in a little while. We're looking at some things in history that God has for us. Now, I love history myself, and if you don't like history, just hang with me anyway. Because what we're not, we're, we are going to talk about real history, but biblical history and how they affirm one another. And as you look into things that are in the past, we can find evidence of God's word, God's truth, and who he is. God is who he says he is. And God is real and his word is real. And there is an attack against the word of God that has happened throughout the world all the time since it was made by God for giving to us. But there's been an attack to undermine the word of God and make it so that it's not real or not accepted or not believed by people. And that will never succeed. God is good. Anything we don't understand about his word, it's our problem, not his. And he will clarify anything we ask him to. So I want you to know that God's word is truth, and we will look at some things in history that you can verify later today on Google or any other search engine you want to use and find out what's going on. But as we look in this history, we want to lay the groundwork to what God is trying to say to us today in this moment. So looking back, remember that Israel was one nation under God, but they didn't stay under God. And because they didn't stay with God or following his ways, God divided the kingdom. And so Israel was one name and one nation, and Judah became the other nation. They had been one, Israel. Now they were two. And that happened because they did not stay with God and follow God's ways. So now as you move forward in their history, our looking back, they're moving forward we see that a king came to the throne of Israel named Hoshea. Now, Hoshea reigned in Israel for nine years. In, um, in the third year of his reign, King Hezekiah became the king of Judah. Now, I know that as you read through the scriptures, sometimes these things can get crazy because we're looking at this king and this time, this king and this time, and things overlap. But just stay with me here and listen. Hoshea became the king of Israel Hezekiah became the king of Judah in the third year of this dude's reign, okay? So it's important for us to see this because as we consider that then, Hoshea, the king of Israel, was an ungodly man like all the previous kings. From the time the, the nation split, every king of Israel did not follow God. None of them. They were the same people that had had a history with God that God had brought out of bondage and given the land they were possessing at this moment. But when they split, not one of their kings followed God or his ways. So now, in the third year of... Uh, let's, let me rephrase that. In year six of Hesheah's reign, the king of Assyria came and laid siege against the capital city, Samaria. All right? Now we know, as you look in history, this is a fact. Assyria was coming forth as the world power. One of the reasons they became the world power was, prior to that, 
All wars were fought only in specific season and a specific time. And every nation followed that. And if you read your Bible, you will see that when you follow King David's life, it says in there when it talks about that messed up life thing that happened in with Bathsheba, it tells us in the time of year that kings went out to war. So there was a set time where everybody went out and fought. That was the way it was. Well, the king of Assyria began to look at things and saying, I can do more and become more if I just make my own rules. And so he began to organize, and he had the very, Assyria did, had the very first professional soldiers. Prior to that, they were all farmers and stuff. But now they began to bring men in and make them full-time soldiers as an army. And they organized them, and he used people that had the gifts of uh, engineering to begin to make weapons of war and stuff that could bring destruction upon their enemies. And so now they no longer used bronze for their weaponry. They started using metal and nobody else had it. And so as they did this, they made armor, weapons. They made the very first army boots. Assyria did. And it allowed them to not only fight in the summer, but in the winter as well. And nobody ever fought in the winter before. And he developed the ideas of surrounding the cities that they were after and what it's called is laying siege against it, cutting off all their lifelines of food and water. And they had guys that would shoot arrows at the wall and keep those soldiers back while other guys came forward and began to build dirt ramps. And then they would bring in their giant weapons that they had developed on wheels they came forth and they could smash through the walls or the gates or whatever they needed to do. Assyria was the one that developed that entire plan of battle. And so when we look back and we see this in the scripture, when it tells us for three years they laid siege against Samaria, three years, they surrounded the city and cut off all their lifeline. Now they were coming forth to smash the city and to destroy them. And in 722 B.C., the reign of King Hoshea came to an end and the destruction of Israel as a nation happened in 722 by the king of Assyria. And as you look in history and you see how Israel was taken and taken into captivity and we'll look more into that as we go along in the message here today. But we want to read these scriptures that God has for us in 2 Kings chapter 17 starting in verse 7. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshiped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them as well as the practices the kings of Israel had introduced. So let's just pause for a second. We're going to read some more, but I'm seeing this. See, remember, if you go back into the Exodus account, you know that God said that he was driving out the people of Canaan and all that land of promise to Abraham because of their sin, their wickedness. They're following other gods. So God's judgment comes against those who do not worship him. And God brought judgment against those people by bringing Israel in as a nation to possess that land. God told them in that whole movement, do not become like them 
Don't begin to worship their gods. Don't associate with them in their worship and their fellowship. Don't do that stuff because you will fall. And if you fall, I will come against you, right? We know all that. Now, here's what it says in the word of God. This is future history from that moment. And here they are doing everything those people that he drove out of the land were doing. They had turned their backs on God and they were worshiping other gods. But not only were they doing that, the word of God tells us that their leaders introduced new stuff not only were we following the ways of the world and the pagans but they were finding new ways to walk away from God and introducing it to the people the leaders were let's continue reading now as we go into that 17th chapter verse 13 again and again the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah Turn from all your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees, the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and their covenant that he had made with their ancestors and they despised all his warnings. They worshiped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. Remember who inspired the word of God? The Holy Spirit, God himself. Do you see how God viewed this? They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal. They set up an Asherah pole and worshiped Baal and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger because the Lord was very angry with Israel. He swept them away from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. But even the people of Judah refused to obey the commands of the Lord their God, for they followed the evil practices that Israel had introduced. Crazy, isn't it? Listen to this, church. This used to be a unified nation. This nation that is divided are still related. And these guys just fell hard after the things of the world. These people were only saved as God's people because the temple in Jerusalem were there and the covenant with David. And they allowed the influence of the outside nation to even affect them in their place. So... This is what they were doing. They were consulting psychics. There were prophets in the land, people of God, but they were consulting psychics. They were practicing witchcraft. They were sacrificing their children, and they were practicing sexual perversion. All of these things, as God looked upon the people who were called by his name, and he said, no more. You've been living in this sin. You've been turning your back on me. I've sent message after message after message. I'm done. And I'm done with you. And God, it says in his word, wiped them out in 722 BC. Asherah was a goddess that was worshiped in Cain in the land they possessed. And the worship of Asherah was noted for sensuality it involved ritual prostitution. 
The priests and the priestesses of Asherah, so there were male and female prostitutes and perversions going on, all in the name of worship of this God. Now hear it, church, because this is God's word and this is what happened. The priests and the priestesses of Asherah practiced divination, medians talking to the dead, and fortune-telling, psychics. It's all around us in our world today, in our nation, isn't it? Stay with me now. They also worship Baal, the sun god. He was seen as the supreme god in their beliefs. He was the storm god, the god of war. And he's usually depicted holding a lightning bolt. They believed that he was the one who would defeat the enemies and produce their crops, and also that he would give fertility to them and bring their children. Baal worship was rooted also in sexuality and perversion and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples as well. At times, the requirements of those that would worship Baal was that they would have to come and bring him a sacrifice for him to have favor on them, and that sacrifice would be their eldest child. And they were sacrificing their own children on the altar that they might find favor and blessing in their lives. Perversion, corrupt sexuality, all a part of the worship of other gods. I want to say this right here before we even move on. All false religion, all false faiths appeal to the flesh. Sensuality, prosperity, those types of things like my life will be better if I, that's the enemy. And in this mess, if you remember, we just read these scriptures. This was 722 B.C., and Judah was also following these ways. So the kings of Judah had started the pagan worship, the corruption, the worship of Asherah and Baal, and all these things now were happening to the point where even an Asherah pole was set up in the temple of God. Along comes this young man named Hezekiah. Thank you, God. He's one of my heroes, man. At the age of 25, please, church, hear this. At the age of 25, he was made the king of Judah. Now, let's read about this guy. He served in that leadership role from 716, note the dates here, to 686, right? All right. 2 Kings 18. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. What did he do? He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah pools. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Church, seriously, listen to what that just said. The very thing God had brought a judgment against his people and said, Moses, make a serpent so that the people, when they get bit, this is the wilderness, the Exodus account, remember? So the people that got bit by these snakes were dying. But if they looked at the bronze serpent lifted up, they would live. Now they're worshiping that snake instead of God. So he destroyed it. He didn't care what it was. 
He didn't care what it had been used for in the past. What he cared was the people were not worshiping it rather than God. And so he took care of it and destroyed it. 25-year-old dude. What a man. It's so awesome. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you what, what an amazing testimony that is recorded in God's word about this young man and his heart for God. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Man, you want to know how to be successful, church? Probably do it God's way. Probably do what he says. Be obedient in what he asks. Isn't that amazing? Counterculture completely. Didn't care. Just stepped right to the forefront and said, All this is wrong. We're not doing anything right. There's one thing that's right, and that's God. We're doing it His way from here on out. 25 years old. Stood up against all of it because he knew who God was and believed Him. And God honored him by doing so. Church, oh dear God, how we need that. <laughs> okay, so he leads a national revival. He removed all this garbage, called God's people to become God's people, changed their lives. So what happens? Does the enemy retreat and say, oh man, not that guy, he's standing? No, of course not. Look, man, when we look at the, the, the boundaries geographically, Assyria had become even more powerful. And now in this moment, they have a border that's right there with Judah because now they own Israel. And so what do they do? They come against Judah, of course, because they want to take over the world like every other nut that's out there that's trying to become a global leader. And so they come and they're putting a siege against Jerusalem. You understand, church, that the enemy will always come against those who stand for God. He's all about destruction, right? So here it is. It's happening. They come against Israel. And so the way that is, you can look this up. Seriously, Assyria, the way they did battle, this is what they did. They came to the city and said, you're next. <laughs> you already know what we've done. We're coming for you, and you're going to be destroyed. Just giving you a heads up. This is the way this goes. We're coming. You can't stop us, and you're going to fall. So the messenger comes, and he's giving this message to them. And as he does, you know, they already know Assyria is coming against them because they started to make their way around, you know, like they always do and lay a siege against Jerusalem. So the messenger comes, and Hezekiah tells all the people there, don't answer and don't talk to these guys. Hezekiah himself stays back in his palace, sends, um, like, I guess you would say they're like ambassadors, kind of, like to go out to speak to them from the wall. And here, as we read in the scriptures, we're going to read something here that took place. The messengers of Assyria come to the gate, and they begin to shout the message to the people. Here it is, folks, recorded in God's Word, 2 Kings chapter 18. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue us. So I'm going to pause and take a time out real quick. Like The enemy already knew that Hezekiah was standing with God. I think that's pretty cool. 
right? So they already knew that Hezekiah was trusting in God. They knew that he was telling the people to trust in God. The revival that had taken place in Judah obviously had crossed the border, right? I mean, it's a no-brainer here. So he's telling them, don't let him lead you that way. We're going to keep reading now. Have the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpid? And what about the gods of those cities and those countries and all that all the way through? And, and did any god rescue Samaria from my power? Just pause. Think about it. Remember in 722 how Samaria fell? It was the capital city of Israel. So what he's saying is, you know, they serve the same God you do. They weren't. But he's using that against them in this moment. They fell. You're next. Don't trust your God. What God of any... I'm reading again right there in the Scriptures. This is the messenger, remember, shouting to the people in Jerusalem. What God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? When King Hezekiah heard the report, he tore his clothes, put on burlap, and went to the temple of the Lord. <laughs> so awesome. This is why he's one of my heroes right here, Charge. Check it out. Listen to what God is teaching us. The first thing Hezekiah did was he humbled himself. He took off his kingly robes, his place of royalty, and he put on burlap. He put himself as a pauper because he saw himself before God and knew that he was nothing without God. And if he was anything, it was because of God. And right now he was like, I already know who I am before you, God. And he put on this burlap and where did he head? To God's house. Church, he went right to God's house. He asked others to seek God with him. If you read in the story there, he sends a message to the prophet Isaiah. Hey, seek God. We need him. And then he sought the Lord. God hears his prayer. God's faithful, isn't he? And then God not only hears Hezekiah's prayer, but he says he's going to deliver him. And he says, I'm not only going to deliver you, I'm going to kill that commander and I'm going to destroy their king. God's good, man. <laughs> so God sends the king of Ethiopia, if you read the scriptures and you can read it in history, to lead his army to come against Assyria from another direction. So the message comes to the king and the commander, hey, we're being attacked by the Ethiopian king. So now they know they got to leave to go fight that war. But right now they're starting to lay siege against Judah, remember now, when they laid siege, they cut off the food lines, the water lines, and everything, and that was happening in Judah. There was no way for them to get the food they needed or anything else. So it was real. They were hungry. They didn't have what they needed. And now this guy's like, I got to leave. Here's the message that he sends to King Hezekiah. When he gets word he's got to go back to fight, the king sends another message. You ready? Here it is, 2 Kings. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust. <laughs> I, I, I love that. You hear the enemy knowing who Hezekiah was relying on? He didn't say, don't let your king, you, Hezekiah, or your army think you got this. He's like, 
Hezekiah, I know who you are and I know what you're doing. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they've gone. They've completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? And he names all these nations. And the people of Eden who were in Telassar, my predecessors destroyed them all. Now, if you look in history, church, I'm going to keep reading, but if you look, the kings of Assyria kept record of everyone they destroyed, and they were known for their vileness and their corruption and how abusive they were. They were not an easy people to be around. They were brutal, and they loved it, and they kept records of it, and so they were proud of their arrogance and their destruction. Now look, this is what's going on. He's like, look, there's a history behind us and who we are and what we do. I'm doing it to you next. Don't listen to God. You're going to fall. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of, and he says these names again. So as you listen to this, he's repeating a message, but he's making it very personal. He addressed everyone at first, now he's addressing the leader himself. And he's like, you can think what you want, but you're going down. This is the enemy talking to Hezekiah. You're done, and I'm taking you out. <laughs> the Syrian liar comes and says, look, history proves we can do it. We've been victorious. We are victorious. We will be victorious, and we will be victorious over you as well and your God. You're no different. Your God's no different. And I want you to know, church, the enemy is no different today. He always comes with fear, intimidation, trying to make us panic in the moment and not trust God, but to do something different. He does this every time. And this is exactly what he was doing then. And he does the same thing today. He comes at us trying to make us fearful for our lives, panic about stuff, thinking we've got to make a different way. And God's like saying, I'm God, I'm right here. Do you trust him, church? Man, he's amazing. Listen to the word of God that tells us what he said. This is, this is reading in 2 Kings. Don't trust God's promises, right? That's what we just read. We read what he said to him. Don't trust God's promises. Don't listen to his leaders. Don't look at your past. Be real and be in the moment. This is the liar here. Face the facts, man. You're going down. <laughs> so now we look into 2 Kings 19 and listen. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. Oh, Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Listen to it, church. Hezekiah is saying, he's nothing. I know who you are. God, you are God and you are above all kings. I know who I serve. The word of God says, and you alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. 
Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. (laughs) Church, listen. See how Hezekiah did this? He didn't say, hey, God, you got to defend me. He's like, listen, God, this is a message against you. Because it was. He brings it to God and he says, listen to him. This is him. He's speaking against you, God. Keep reading the prayer now. It is true, Lord. The kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. (laughs) Only idols of wood and stone and shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord our God. Hallelujah, man. What an awesome prayer. Church, are you listening to that? You should be encouraged, blessed, and convicted, and moved by God to know that he is the only one. He is our only hope. It is God, and he is above all gods. He's above all kings and above all nations. He is God and God alone. And church, we've got to acknowledge that within the church, and we need to seek him desperately in this day in which we live. Remember the opening when we read this? Hezekiah trusted the Lord all of his days and that God honored him and was with him in all that he did. See, the first thing Hezekiah did in both of these accounts, first was speaking against all the people and now it became personal against him. In the first encounter, he comes to God in prayer. So what does he do again? Comes to God in prayer. (laughs) Something pretty important in here, right? church it's like right here in front of us the first thing he does again is goes to god in prayer and he just went there and he laid it out before god that's why when i talk to you church and i'm asking you to come to the altar we're saying like would you lay it out before god whatever's going on in your life whatever god's talking to you about whatever you got to give up whatever's happening you need to come before god and lay it out before him because god's a god that hears god's a god that answers and he'll do something church it's right there in the word of god man So Hezekiah didn't go consult with his military leaders. How can we take them? He didn't go and talk to the political people. How can we work this out? Nope. Church, the very first thing he turned to was God. What do we do when we're facing a crisis? Man, way too often, we turn to God after we've tried all the other resources. We do all this stuff, and then when it doesn't work, we're like, well, I guess I'm left to you now. (laughs) (laughs) seriously i mean it happens all the time we're always trying to fix stuff and ask god to help us to do it and then when it doesn't work we finally surrender or we get mad at him because it's not working the first thing this guy does is come to god every time he humbles himself he seeks god he's like you're the answer i know you are what do we do so what happens here right He lays it out. He does this prayer. Now, I want you to hear this, church. It's important for you and I to know this, that when he went to God's house and he prayed, God didn't show up. God didn't come and say, don't worry, I'm going to protect you, Hezekiah. I got you. He didn't. God didn't even verbally answer Hezekiah. So Hezekiah comes, he lays everything out before God, and then he goes home. He's like, there it is. You know what's the deal. I trust you. So what do we find in Scripture? Listen to what it says in 2 Kings 19, verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp 
and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. God did it. You know God's a warrior, right? He is. God's word tells us this. Church, we need to understand the fullness of the God we serve. He doesn't mess around with people. And when these people and this commander and this king said, we don't care about your God and we're taking you out and he's not going to save you, God's like, really? This is who I am and I want to show you who I am. 185,000 are dead in the morning. Not a sword's been lifted. Listen, church, this is what it says. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. <laughs> I love it. Is God awesome or what? He's like, I'm coming in there, I'm taking your place, and I'm doing this, and no one's stopping me. See you later. <laughs> One day, I'm reading the scriptures again, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adrimelech and Shrezer, killed him with their swords. You don't defy God and get away with it. You don't. God's real, man. God's serious. So why are we looking at all this, church? These are historical facts that not only, as we've mentioned, prove the, authentic, uh, the authenticness of God's word, but they give direction to us in our lives today. At this point that we're looking back at an Assyrian empire that was taking over the, the known world of their time, we see things that they created and they used as warfare technology and stuff that they were doing and implementing their plan strategically that had never been done before so looking back at that this is what they would do and they did it in israel once they took a land they would take the elite people that they thought could give them value and place them in another place where they could help with other people they had already captured that could give them value to their nation and they were trying to assimilate them to become now assyrians not wherever they came from, but they needed to become Assyrians. Then they would take the people that were here and move some of them over there, some of them over there, and leave some of them there. And then they would bring other people in from the places that they didn't really care about either and bring them in and plant them in those groups. So what they did was they were trying to remove the people's identity, give them a new identity as Assyrians, and have them understand that there's no way they could now unite together because no longer were we a family or all related. Now we were strangers living together in the same place. And now our only hope was to become a Syrian if we wanted anything. And so the people would surrender their identity, their purpose, and their place because they wanted to be what they were supposed to be so they could fit in and have what they wanted in their life. This was an implementation by the Assyrians with intentionality, and they did it. And you will see that from that time forward, other nations began to adopt those very same ideas, the sieging, the displacing of people, and we know that when we read the Bible, we see where in the future of where we're at, the Babylonians come and take Judah and do the exact same thing to them. Now hear it, church. Listen to what's going on. 
What they wanted to do is inter intermingle the peoples to remove their personal identity, to remove their national identity, and to let them think that they only had a hope of being whatever they were told to become. Does that sound familiar at all? So there was an approach at attempting to unify them in the other camp under a different authority and under a different God. See, Jesus told us this. There is only strength in unity. Jesus told us that. It's kind of funny, you know, when you look this up, if you did a Google search later and you're like, you know, a kingdom divided, if you look that up, do you know that the first thing that's going to come up on your Google search is the speech given by President Abraham Lincoln? But he was quoting Jesus. <laughs> See, when you look into the Word of God, Jesus is talking to some leaders there. There's this uh, account that happens where this demon-possessed boy, the disciples couldn't throw it. They, Jesus comes and throws it out. And people are amazed that the authority that Jesus has over the demonic world as well. And they're blown away. So, of course, the religious leaders who do not believe in him or want to believe in him say, you know, well, that's, he's working for the devil himself. That's why he can throw out the demons because he's from the devil too. So Jesus addresses this. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he replied, this is Matthew 12, 25. Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. See where Abraham Lincoln got it from? A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. This is Jesus talking. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. This is Jesus talking, man. He's straight up with it, isn't he? He's talking to us, church, and he's saying, look, you can't be divided and be part of me. It can't happen. And you can't just be verbally saying you're with me. You've got to be working for me. It's God's word. I've been talking about this. God is calling us, church, to be on his team, not just verbally, but with our life and with our actions, with our intentions and our very purpose. And he's like, you're either with me or you're not. Now listen as we go along. We read the scriptures a couple weeks ago in Proverbs 6 that talked about the things that God hates and detests, right? And one of them, there were three of them that had to do with the mouth, but one of those was one who swords discord in the family. God hates it. Why? Because God hates things that destroy the unity that he himself created. The enemy wants to divide everything. His, his only hope is to divide. Now, as we listen and we think about what God is saying to us and what Jesus is warning us of, we recognize today, church, that the enemy has always done the exact same thing. He's always causing division, trying to plant seeds of doubt, trying to intimidate, instill fear, trying to get us to believe something that's not from God, maybe part from God. Now, look. 
If you look at these things and you listen to what God says in his word, and he talks about the fact of how unity is the strength of where we are and all that, and the enemy says he wants to destroy that, but the enemy offers a false unity. He's trying to call us into his circle. And he's saying, if you'll do it his way, there's going to be peace and prosperity for everyone. We are going to go back and read something I did not read to you from 2 Kings 18. It's part of the message that was sent from King Sennacherib to the people in Judah. So this guy, remember, is yelling out to those guys that are up there in the wall and the people inside the city. And this is what the Word of God tells us was being said. Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you will continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine and bread and vineyards and olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue us. Church, I'm reading that to you because if, if you know your Bible and you look back into the Exodus account and the things that God was saying to his people, remember what God said? I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey, a land you don't possess, a land you don't own, but I will give it to you. Do you hear how the enemy is using similar words to things they know in their history, but offering something less by saying they're offering something more? If you just surrender now and open your gates, it's going to be okay. Everything will be fine. Just compromise. Relax. Don't trust God. You're not going to survive. You're not going to make it through. Trusting God will never work. It's never worked for anyone else. It won't work for you. Do you hear that? Church, do you hear that? What are we doing when the enemy lies to us? What are we doing? Who are we turning to? How are we turning to God in the moment? The enemy always tries to sow discord. His desire is destruction, division. In every way, shape, and form, he wants that to end. See, the family unit represents God. You do know that, right? For in the very beginning, God created male and female. He created them. And when God brought the male and the female together, they became one, right? We all know that. So stay with me because we're not getting political. We're going to get spiritual, but we're going to bring it home to where God wants us to bring it today. A long time ago, an assault began upon the family unit in this nation. It came against a husband and a wife in a family unit. And that division and destruction that was brought in against the family unit was inspired by the enemy trying to divide the home. Something's always better out there. There's someone else. There's something else. The family's a drag. You can't accomplish. You can't have. You can't be. You've got to. That's been happening in our nation for a while, right? We all know that. To the fact that 
Houses began to crumble and fall. The normal family today is dysfunctional. And and I'm not being critical. I'm saying, church, we know this. Marriages fall apart regularly. Divorce is so common that it's uncommon for someone to be with their original spouse. Right? Even though we in the church, and I'm talking about in the church as well, so just relax and don't feel like you're being judged. Listen to me, church. We have come to the point where within the church family, it's hard to find people that have been together, even though God's Word clearly teaches that His intention was for one man and one woman to be married till death do them part. Jesus even said, let no man separate what God has joined together. We know that verse, right? It's spoken, at least by me, at every marriage I do. No man separate. No one to break the covenant that is made between a man and a woman and God. Just acknowledge that, please, church. I'm not, I'm not saying like you have to applaud. I'm saying that's God's word. That's God's plan. And you see, that was God's intention. And so what has happened in our nation is there's been an assault against the family unit. And what has happened is, is you're not good enough to be that. You need to be this to be somebody. You need to be that to be somebody. Guys, you get your identity in what you have and what you do. Women, you can't be at home. A mother's not a good place or a thing to be. You've got to do something with the career and become this. I'm not getting crazy here. Listen, this is what the enemy has done. And we've embraced his lies because we wanted to have everything that we could possibly have. And so we let go of what God said and began to embrace what culture said. And when we embraced what culture said, the family unit collapsed. I wonder why. And there's dysfunction everywhere. And so today, not only has the dysfunction of the family impacted the home and the family unit, but see, our whole culture is now dysfunctional and our nation is dysfunctional. I wonder why. Because you see, when God's ways and words are ignored and we begin to embrace the lies of the enemy then everything falls apart and so here we are as a nation divided messed up being sold lies about what it should look like or what it could be so what happened just now when I talked about the family unit being one man and one woman I already know what was going on through people's brains. We were already thinking about the LBGTQA, whatever they are now, and I don't mean that disrespectful. I can't even remember all the letters. I'm just saying, like, we start thinking, like, yep, you need to talk about those people while we ignore our own sin, our own brokenness, the fact that we haven't followed God's ways. But we're not like them, so we're okay. I'm talking about the church today, folks. And, and if you've been divorced, God's a healing and forgiving God, and you just need to ask his forgiveness, but you need to ask his forgiveness. You can't just ignore it and keep going on your way. God's not like that, okay? So I'm not here to beat on anybody or anything like that. I'm saying let's look at what God says in his word and understand what he was saying to his people and understand that God brought judgment against those people that didn't follow his ways, right? It was very clear. It said he did, they did not follow my way, so I swept them out of my sight. The only hope we have is God. Hezekiah 
did exactly what the Lord had instructed him to do. He looked back in history, and he knew what his great-great-great-great-grandfather king had done, King Solomon. When King Solomon built the temple and prayed, you remember, church, we read these verses a few weeks ago. Listen to what God's word says. God said in that answer to Solomon's prayer, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. This is God talking. Church, are you hearing it? Did you hear what Hezekiah prayed? God, you're it. You're the only one. I trust you. He humbled himself. He came before God. He presented his case, and then he trusted God in the moment. See, church, we in the church need to humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our sin. God will hear. He promises God will not only hear, God says he will deliver and he will heal and he will restore. That's the God we serve. He did it. It's right there in history. Look at it. We just read it. Church, he's our only hope. He is our only hope. No politician can save us. No new laws can save us. Only God can save us. And until we in the church get that and repent and turn him wholeheartedly, there is no hope for our nation. We are a house divided. Church. In the church, we can't even keep it together. We're divided in the church. I don't want to get into that. Let's please hear this message from God today. Please hear it. I have an urgency in my spirit that God is stirring. It's been weeks long now that God is calling us, church, to Him first. To Him only. He is the answer, and He is our only hope. So I have that one action step today. The time is now. God is it. Let's seek Him while we can. Altar's open. The altar's open, church. Let's seek him, please. Whoever feels the stirring of the Spirit of God inside of you, whatever the reason for that stirring, if you need to come and present something before God yourself and just lay it out, do it. He's there. He's God. He's waiting. If my people who are called by my name. <laughs> God, you've heard the lies of the enemy. God, you have heard the deception that is out there. The world is calling to your church and trying to get us to adopt anything other than the truth of your word and who you are. God, we rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name and we will stand for the truth of who you are, the power of your word, the power of your conviction, the truth of who God you truly are. You are the God of the Bible. You are the creator of the universe. You are God alone. There is no other. There is no leader in this whole planet that is stronger than you, God. <laughs> there is no nation stronger than you. You are God alone. You are our only hope, Lord. God, please forgive us. Forgive your church. 
Forgive our nation. Have your way, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Stay with him. You're dismissed, man. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today.